Okay, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is going to be, it's not a, really a new message tonight. It's just kind of a reminder. You know, Peter said three times in Second Peter about stirring up our minds by way of remembrance. So tonight, just kind of a reminder, I think it's good from time to time, to remind us of what our purpose is. So, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 8. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach to the day in which he was taken up. After that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore unto the, again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the earth. So tonight, again, God's plan for Lighthouse Baptist Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, that, you, that we have it in our own language preserved for us, uh, passed down through the centuries, and we can have assurance that we have the very words of God. Uh, we thank you that we have, uh, through the word of God, all things that pertain unto life and godliness the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So, And we just thank you, Father, that as we take the word of God and act on it in faith, put it into practice and how it changes our lives and conforms us into the image of, of, of your dear Son who loved us and gave himself for us. Today, I pray that you help us tonight just to be reminded of these things and of our responsibility to a lost and dying world and the purpose for which you've given for us in these days in which we're living, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in verse 1, he starts out, Luke, of course, is the writer of the book of Acts, as he traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys, and really he's kind of traveling with the apostles, because it starts out with all the apostles, and then later he traveled with Paul. But he says, a former treatise, of course, that'd be Luke, I have made oath the office of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So we could maybe sum up our purpose as a church is to continue the work that Jesus began. He began it. He didn't finish it. Now, he finished what was needed for our salvation. But he didn't finish the command that he gave us. He gave his disciples command before he left, and he didn't finish that. That command was to go into all the world with the gospel. And I don't know that Jesus ever left. He went to Sychar, and I think that might have been outside of Israel. But he, other than that, he, he, he never left the nation or the land of Israel. 
And up until that time, we don't know that the disciples ever left the land of Israel. So his ministry, though it had great effect upon those apostles, was not far-reaching around the world in and of himself. But that ministry would reach far through those who, who received him as their Lord and Savior, who followed him, his disciples, in the years and centuries to come. In fact, it's believed that by the first end of the first century, the, the gospel had gone all the way to Britain uh, and all the way to India. You know, uh, you know, probably in, even into China. We don't know for sure how far it had gone, but we are certain. We have his, history tells us, and, and there's a there's a, a character named in the uh, in I think it's in the book of Colossians that uh, theologians believe it was a Brit. He was a Briton, a man from British, from British Isles. And so the gospel did very quickly go into all the world. And so this is what we are here to do. We're to continue the work that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's our purpose. And we we understand that, you know, as we sum up, think about these purposes tonight, we are here to glorify God. You know, that, that verse there in Ephesians 3 tells us that there's to be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. We're here to glorify Him. First uh, Corinthians 10, 31 <coughs> says, tells us, whatsoever you do in word or deed, uh, do all uh, to the glory of God. Uh, of course, we understand the natural tendency of churches is to become complacent. To compromise. Because churches are made up of human beings. Sinners. And apostasy. And we see this happening in the scriptures. Even for, you know, you, you, you look at the, the churches in the book of Revelation. And what's the last one? There's apostasy there. And, it, and there's, there's seeds of apostasy in all those churches. Even the first one that he commended highly, he said, you know, I do have somewhat against you because you left your first love. You know, there was a, there was, there was not the devotion, the fervent, the, the, first save love, the vibrance of that relationship with the Lord that had once been there at Ephesus by the time of the end of the first century when John wrote those letters. Uh, and you know, we can be so busy maintaining our separation sometimes that we forget our adoration, our reverence and, and the glory of God. And we must have both. You know, we are commanded to earnestly contend for the faith. Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you uh, under the common salvation, it was need for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So we are to contend. That word contend, earnestly contend there has the idea of a wrestling match. We're to wrestle in, in contending for the faith. We're to strive to contend to keep the gospel pure that we preach. Paul told the church at Ephesus in Acts 20 verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You know, how many churches tonight, there are certain portions of Scripture they won't touch? Well, a lady just asked me the other day. We had talked to her right here in the parking lot. She lives here in Roseville. And we, I'd given her some literature and talked to her about the Lord and invited her to church. And she said, well... I, you know, she was kind of apologetic to say it. She said, but I do have to ask you one question. Now, uh, sometimes this makes preachers mad. I don't think you try me. 
So, and she said, but, but I do have to ask this, this, this question. What do you think about same-sex marriage? And I said, it's sin. I said, the Bible condemns it. It's called an abomination. She said, well, thank you, but some, some that makes them mad, makes them angry when you ask such questions. No, we are to earnestly contend for the faith. We're to declare the whole counsel of God, whether we like it or whether we don't. As I mentioned this morning, our conduct, you know, our, we're to perfect holiness in the fear of God. We're to, we're to preach the gospel in reverence with respect to God, not whether man's going to respect or receive it. And so we have to earnestly contend. There needs to also be a genuine love for the Lord. We know the greatest commandment that the Lord gave us in the Bible is Matthew 22, 37, 38, where it says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. You know, we're to have, we're to have that love for God is to be preeminent over every other relationship. Love of God is to be first. Seek ye first, give God his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, and, and love, a love for God means that we will keep, we will guard, we will cherish as valuable as something of value, his word. John 14 says, he that loveth me keepeth my words. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And so if, if there's a true love for God, it's demonstrated by a love for the Word of God and obedience to the Word of God. And so there needs to be this, this, uh, this, this love, earnest, uh, this genuine love for the Lord. You know, Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, they have a heart for the things of God, for the Word of God. They shall be filled. But there also needs to be a compassion for the lost. Matthew 22 again, verse 39, he goes on and says, and the second, the second greatest commandment is like unto it. Now here's the interesting thing that I, that I just, you know, never really thought about this before. But you know what like unto means? It's corresponding with the first. You know, the, and the second is, like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So this like unto, loving your neighbor as yourself, is a corresponding thing to loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. It's like saying this, you know, as I mentioned this morning, if a, a Christian equals moral conservative values, they're corresponding. They're corresponding. You might, you know, I might say, well, I'm going deer hunting, so what goes with that? So what, if I'm going deer hunting, what do you, what would you think I'd be carrying with me? Slingshot? You'd say, not unless you're David. You know, I'm not that good with a slingshot. I've never known anybody go deer hunting with a slingshot in modern history. No, I would go with a bow, an arrow, or a rifle. See, that's what would be corresponding with deer hunting. Those two things would go together. And so what goes together with loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind is you also love mankind made in the image of God. 
They go together. They go together. In fact, John, uh, no, I'm sorry, First um, John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You know, and again, this is something that Jesus began, and Jesus, you know, this was something that Jesus was ex- uh, exemplified in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ while he was on earth. There, you know, he did stand for the truth. He was not a respecter of persons. He told, always told the truth. Can you imagine? I was telling my wife on the way home this afternoon, after, you know, after the morning, this message this morning, I said, could you imagine the typical independent Baptist soul winner telling a woman who he's witnessed to that she's a fornicator? Do you know that's what Jesus did? He told that Samaritan woman, you're living in fornication. He said, yeah, thou sayest truly, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. You know, basically what he's saying is you're, you're living in fornication. And if you're going to repent, you're going to turn away from that. He told the rich young ruler, you're covetous. Basically, that's what he did. Sell all you have, give it to the poor. He said, you're covetous. And you need to repent of your covetousness because so, until you repent, that's your God. Until you turn away from that, that's your God. See, he, he told the truth. He earnestly contended for the faith. He gave people the truth. But he also loved... In fact, the Bible says that you know, the, the, the rich young ruler went away were sorrowful and the Bible says that he loved him. Behold, he loved him. So this is something that Jesus, all these things Jesus did during his earthly ministry, and he taught his disciples to do, and, you know, is to be, is to love the the heavenly Father with all your heart, soul, and mind, and also to love people and have compassion. Matthew 9, 36-39 says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. When we, when we, he's praying that, 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 you know, to his disciples, he's telling them, pray that the Lord would call people into his harvest, people that would witness to these lost people. John twenty twenty one. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And he was sent of the Father to bear witness to the truth. That men and women are sinners and they need to repent and put their faith into the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Go to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22 for just a moment. Ezekiel chapter 22. <clears throat> Ezekiel 22 and verses 23 through 30. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, that is to Israel, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon the day of indignation. 
There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey, to shed blood and destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression, and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy, yea, have they oppressed the strong stranger willfully. You know, you know, as I've read that, I'm thinking about, you know, these, these TV evangelists that foam out this false gospel. No repentance, no need of repentance. You know, God just wants to give you good things. That's so, you know, send in your money and God will bless you. And, and uh, you know, um, like Larry Hutch and Paula White saying that, that uh, Jesus is not the only begotten Son. We are all the begotten sons of God. It put no difference between the holy and profane. That which is unholy, there is your same-sex marriage. It's unholy. But here's the here's here's the one of the saddest verses in the Bible, verse thirty. And I sought for a man. You know, it was supposed to be the the man who would make up the hedge was supposed to be the priests and the prophets. And here's Ezekiel saying, "I sought for a man." God saying through Ezekiel, "I sought for a man among them." that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You and I may be the only person that stands in the gap between some learning about the Lord Jesus Christ or not learning. We may be the only ones. Second Corinthians three three. Paul reminded the church of Corinth, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You know, the lady just commenting about the difference in the children. That's a testimony to the truth of the Word of God. You know, we are you know, Peter describes us as lively stones. You know, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and we're like lively stones. We're living stones. 
that can make a difference in a person's life. We may be the only witness they have. Jude 1, 21-23 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Well, we need to have compassion. You know, we need to earnestly contend for the faith. We need to have a genuine love for the Lord and for the, live for the glory of God, but we need to also have a compassion for the lost. They are corresponding things. They go together. They go together. And so, that's the purpose for the church, the program for the church. Again, verse 1, and then verse 8, former treatises have made of the office all that Jesus began, both to do and teach. And verse 8 says, Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, he's telling that to his church at Jerusalem. And what he's telling them is, look, you're going to take this gospel message in Jerusalem, then you're going to take it into Judea. You might say, okay, Jerusalem, that's your county. In Judea, that's your state. Then you're going to take it to Samaria, that's your country. And then you're going to take it out of the whole world. The idea here is you need to multiply yourself. That's what he did. He was one, and then he multiplied himself. He trained those twelve, and of course they 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 baptized others. There was we know that uh, till verse fifteen there was hundred and twenty in that church on the roll. So they began to, they, they multiplied, they reproduced themselves. That's what churches are supposed to do. I was telling a lady, a couple that visited here a couple weeks ago, and uh, we got talking about, you know, some different things, and I said, well, our philosophy is a little different than most. I said, we're not interested in building a big church. I said, now, understand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm for people getting saved and adding to our church. But I said, what we want to do is when we get to a certain size, we're going to train some pe- some men to pastor or, you know, to and send them out and maybe send a family or two with them to go start another church in another area. We're not, we're not working to build a big empire. Uh, you know, the pattern in the New Testament was that churches multiplied. They started other churches. And, you know, and, 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 you know, like us, we don't want to lose. We don't want to move. We don't want to stay here. You know, we want to just stay where we are. We want to stay in our comfort zone. Do you know what it took for the Jerusalem church really to start multiplying? Persecution. In Acts chapter 8, it says, They that were scattered abroad by the persecution of Stephen went everywhere preaching the word. 
The apostles all stayed at Jerusalem. It was the church people that scattered. And it says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. They went down to Lydia, Lydia, Lydda, Joppa, and to Caesarea, and, then, and they went as far as Antioch. And Antioch became one of the strongest churches of the New Testament. From whence then Paul and Barnabas were sent out out of Antioch, and they went and started all these other churches. Where did it all start? Jerusalem. It all started at Jerusalem. You know, and they, they grew. 5,000, they probably had, there was 5,000 in it. So there must have been like 8,000 people at the church at Jerusalem. And the persecution struck. And boy, they scattered. And it dwindled. Of course, they went as far as Antioch. And the church was established there. And I believe Barnabas was the first pastor. He got Saul, who became Paul, who later was called Paul, the apostle, come help him. And then they were sent out by that church to go into Asia Minor, into, into Europe. Places like Thessalonica. Again, of whom it's written, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6-8 through 8 says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. And I want you to think about that statement concerning multiply. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in also in every place your faith to God word was spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. So what happened to this church at Thessalonica, even though there was, there was persecution there at the start of it, wherever they went, and they went other places, they also preached the word in those other places. And this is a pattern throughout the New Testament. And so it, the gospel spread quickly all over the known world. Of course, with Rome being in power at that time, gave great, gave great access to roads, travel. And so the proliferation of the gospel all over the known world. And this was also every member evangelism that takes the gospel into their own world where they live and where they work. You know, that is what these people that were scattered from Jerusalem did. They took the gospel with them because it was their life. It was the life of God in them. It was who they were. It's what defined them. It should be what defines us. John 13.35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. You see, this is the program for the church. We are commanded as a church to reach our Jerusalem, to reach, reach out into Judea, which would be maybe equal to our state, Samaria, our country, and the world. Now, this requires a love for the Lord demonstrated through several ways. First of all, in giving. Do you know that giving is worship? 
Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So they had given themselves. You know, worship is giving God His rightful place. And they worshipped Him. They gave themselves first to God. And because they would given themselves to God, God controlled their money too. And so it wasn't a problem for them to give of their substance liberally, even though they were in poverty, they gave liberally of what they could. They didn't give what they didn't have. They gave what they could. And Paul said they gave beyond their power. They were willing of themselves. They, this was a, this was an act of worship on their part. And so, you know, we, we, one of the ways in which we can demonstrate our love for the Lord is through giving. And I praise the Lord for the giving of this church, of course, to reach its own area, area. You know, it takes finances, it takes time, it takes labor, all those things. Of course, if we're going to reach into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world, we do that through missions. We are partnering with other churches to reach, you know, as we reaching into Taiwan, to Russia, to Greenland, Portugal, Mexico. Although our missionary in Mexico had to come home. Uh, New England, Maine, Arctic regions. Uh, and, and we even have an indirect, we've had an indirect influence in Nevada through Brother Mitchell. Brother Mitchell helped train um, Chris Teal, who's in Carson, in the Carson Valley in Nevada. Uh, and oh, I'm, I'm praying that by the first year we can begin to reach into some other areas. Maybe Lithuania, India, Chapman, Spratz, maybe even Florida. Support Ted Alexander. See, this is, this is an act of worship. Of us getting involved. You know, and here the churches of Macedonia uh, gave, they worshiped the Lord, they obeyed the Lord by giving so that Paul could take the gospel for on their behalf to these other places in the world where they couldn't go. For some, it may require that they be laborers to go. You know, as Jesus prayed and or instructed in Matthew chapter 9, we did pray the Lord of harvest send forth laborers into his harvest. It may mean for some moving, giving up temporal pursuits to pursue ministry. But God's desired practice for His church is participation from all. You know, for some to go, some have to stay. Some have to stay. And serve the Lord by working 
by living in the world in this area as a witness and testimony to the people around here, and by working so that they can give, so that others can, go, so that they can fellowship. By the way, when you give, so that others go, you are fellowshipping together with them. You are becoming a labor together with them in taking the gospel to Taiwan or to Russia or to Greenland. You're fellowshipping together with them. We are, we become laborers together with God and others in taking the gospel. We need people to clean the church, mow the lawn, maintain the buildings, take care of the finances, teach Sunday school with music talent to edify us in song. We need prayer warriors and those that have the gift of giving. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, when <clears throat> Paul wrote to the first to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about, okay, stop your divisions and work together like a body as the body of Christ. Each part doing their part. And your part's not the same as mine. But your part is just as important as mine. Because if you didn't do your part, I would have a hard time doing mine. If, if you didn't do your part, those missionaries back there on the board, they would be hard-pressed to do their part. See, sometimes we think, you know, we, we, we separate out that all those people are so much more important than we are. I don't know. Because without you, they couldn't do that. I like what Gary Forney said one time. He said, to fulfill Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the missionary needs you as much as you need the missionary. They need your prayers and they need your money. You know, some, some people are, are nervous about talking, about, but this is reality. They need your money so that they can take the gospel to Russia and Greenland. It requires money. It's an investment, an investment in the things of God. Things that will last for eternity. See, you know, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. The word particular means a part due or assigned to one. You know, you have a part assigned to you by God in this body that he wants you to do. My part is to be the pastor. Your part may be giving, praying, witnessing. Just being a and being a faithful member. I shouldn't say in just being because that's that doesn't sound right. It's not right. It's not just being. That's important to the body of Christ. Yeah, what if what if we didn't have you know Bradley he mows the grass? What if we just mowed it every once every once in a while, you know, like every month? And people drive by and they look and say, 
Well, ain't that a shoddy looking place? You know, first impressions are lasting ones. That would have an effect on what people think about our church. A very great effect. So, though we say mowing the lawn, we might say we don't consider that a spiritual exercise. It is. It is. It is. And the Lord will reward you for your faithfulness and fulfilling your part, whatever it is you do. Even though you might not get lots of accolades for it. The Lord will reward you. So the way God rewards us is for our faithfulness. Where that faithfulness seems little to the world or is impressive to the world, whether it's not, God wants us to be faithful in it. And so he wants participation from all of us. You know, God has a plan for Lighthouse Baptist Church. And he desires that everyone have a part in that plan. We are a body of Christ. And for a body to function healthy, each part must be, must do their part. You know, I don't know what the Lord has in store, what the future will bring for us. But I do know this. God's command for us is that we be faithful until he comes fulfilling the command he has given us.